This is a Founding Media podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Founders of Fashion. I'm your host, Jennifer Millspa. Today, we are sharing an interview with Joshua Bigamum of Helm Boots. Hosting the show this week is Ross Bennett, who is joined by Dan Dillard and Ryan Francis. They get to know more about Joshua and how he started his journey into the world of footwear. Let's jump in and hear what they had to say. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Ross Bennett here with Dan Dillard, Joshua Bingaman from Helm Boots, and Ryan Francis. And, you know, it's great to see you this morning. I'm happy you could make some time for this. Thank you. Um, You know, you've been around in this city for almost a decade, you know, putting footwear all over the world. And it's kind of a cool thing to get to sit here and talk to you this morning with these guys. And just chat about your mind and how you came in as a creative from... What you did prior to Helm Boots that I want to talk about, okay. and then also getting into Helm. So, very cool. You want to talk about how you got to Austin from LA, and you know what you kind of how why you came here, and how you started with the coffee shop, and then got into Helm. I mean, let's get back to where <laughs> yeah, you started. Sure. Good question. I was uh, I'm a Libra. No, I'm just kidding. I was <laughs> me too, bro. <laughs> you are. Yeah, October sixteenth. Oh, no. no, that's my birthday. Shut oh, the front door. <laughs> yeah, October sixteenth. Holy shit! When oh, when were you born? October 16th, 1983, Dude, at I'm like 10, 10 in the morning. I'm 79. <laughs> <laughs> that is spooky. I never know. Um, okay, That's shut awesome. it down. Um, all right, so back to how you got to Austin, brother. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was actually born and raised in Oklahoma, moved out to L.A. Um, in high school, uh, towards the end of high school, uh, actually got a record deal. Did a few albums, a couple albums in L.A. Yeah. Uh, my brother, Crazy Idea, was like, hey, we collected sneakers, and you have a lot of boots. Me too. Let's. You did. Oh no. Uh, you caught. You caught me now. I got okay. you. You're good. Uh, <laughs> let's open a shoe store in San Francisco. That's what he said. Dude. And uh, took over an old space in the Mission District. Long story short, started that store, franchised it. It blew up. He bought me out because we we're about to kill each other. And I moved to Austin. It was just kind of like we've heard a lot about the city. Uh, my wife and I were newly married, and let's go check Austin out. And we more or less stayed. We came and visited, and it was far from what it is now. That was 02, 03. That's when I moved here, May 23rd of 2002. <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> have you been in uh, insane asylums too? No, I'm right. <laughs> have you been in psychiatric so hospitals? I have questions going back okay. to what you just said. Oh, okay. I mean, you like, just blew through all of this. I'm like, yeah, we started this with this. Yeah. You did a record deal? So you yeah. musician? Yeah, I was uh, 17. I started a band when I was 16. It was a heavier rock band. And then after we toured, and got some label recognition, I ended up going solo. Uh, we were all too young to try to... What was the band called? Uh, that doesn't matter. It was, okay, a, it was a heavier rock band. Let's keep that off. Okay, the, fine. I don't love the way all that ended. Um, all right, word. <laughs> old chapter. But then you, yeah. you, you went to... So what I'm hearing is you're following your passion from when you were like seven, Non-stop, man, yeah. It, sometimes it was uh, beneficial, but a lot of the time it was exhausting. Like some people are like, follow your heart, and then from the outside they're like, what are you doing? When did your when <laughs> yeah. did your heart lead you to to shoes and boots? When did, um, where was that? I had always liked boots. When I started touring, I uh, I always wore like older hiking boots and work boots and stuff before it was cool. I mean, we're talking about mid and late '90s, so a lot of people kind of mocked me, but I'd found some old 
hunting boots and my dad's in the garage, some old Irish shutters, and I just started rocking that stuff. And the my, red leather lace up with yeah. the metal brock, yeah, yeah the literally. old green suede or the gray suede, yeah, yeah. And, and I had vibrant soles. I had some gray suede with some blue laces, <laughs> uh, the Vasque ones, and yep. so I started getting into that and buying those. And my brother and I are both a little bit obsessive. We we say we get it from our mother. She's kind of a Melda Mar- Marcos syndrome and. Uh, has always bought us shoes, kind of her love language. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, my brother <laughs> kept sneakers and kept them and then went a little deep into Adidas and Pumas and Ace Onitsukas, and he just he kept going. I, I had some Nikes, and I started buying Jordans and flights and stuff. And um, yeah. so, yeah, he was he's semi as crazy as I am. He's very well educated, but I was like, hey, man, I found a cool space in San Francisco. He was visiting there. Mm-hmm. It was an old photo studio in the Mission. Dude. But the, the Mission was the barrio then. It was 20th and Valencia. It's still there, our first store. Wow. Uh, the brand that, I mean, the stores that bought it uh, still have their store there. It's one of their their most top-end stores because the Mission, I mean, it's not unlike the east side where it just blew up pretty quick. So so this um, following your passion was from music and went, let's do this. And it's like everything. So... Why that's intriguing to me? Shoes. Yeah, change path quick. Why that's intriguing me is because for most people, it's like starting one business or it's kind of intimidating. Did you have any fears along the way about any of this? Or was it just kind of like, I'm just going to go and do it? I think it started, uh, I don't think of this often, but it started because I have to just keep going. Um, I think it started in high school where I realized, uh, hey, I want to play music. I want to be in a band. I don't want to be in school. And I did, I did good in school, but I started doing correspondence classes and, and tested out. And I realized, like, hey, I can, I can kind of make my own way. Mm-hmm. So with business, when my brother rang me up about that, I'd been in L.A. I had been doing what I was doing. I'd kind of accomplished what I'd accomplished there, but I quickly realized I didn't want to be on the road or in the studio every day. Um, so it was uh, your passion, not your business. Right. Yeah. When it started becoming like that, I was like, oh man, I don't, I don't know if I want to want to do it this way. Right. Um, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> was there any fear at all? It's just like you went from uh, one thing to another and it's like, was there like any hesitation? It sounds like you figured it out young and said, I can do this and move forward. Yeah. There was anxiety, but I don't think I ever felt like, uh, I think I was going fast enough or I didn't give myself time uh, to have fear about it. Um, I just kind of saw this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I did. So, all right. So your second business was the shoe game. And let's mm-hmm. get back to the shoe game. Because, yeah, like, game. with my kids, you know, my son's got 100 pairs. He's three. I've collected yeah. match Jordans, all that jazz. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure you did the same with yeah, your yeah. girls. My girls got the same. Trouble. Was that always your childhood passion, like your five-year-old mind? Did you always love shoes? Because what I'm seeing is, is you went music, shoes, coffee, shoes. Yeah. And now your shoes are just, I mean, effing killing it. Oh, all over the world, you know what I mean? Incredible. And so, like, people are knocking off your shoes. <laughs> I'm not saying knocking no, off, but yeah. trying no, to play in the it. same game as you. That's where it goes, And you're yeah. the forefront of, I mean, come on, 10 years ago, who yeah. was going to rock, you yeah. know, uh-huh. a 12-inch... Yeah, people think wacky with that leather and that, <coughs> that, that toe. Right. Uh, yeah. And so, like, was it the shoe game that you always, like, was that what kind of always kept you kind of going through these hard times? Like, what was your, how did you get here? I, when I was younger and even up in through L.A. and San Francisco, what's always kind of been with me is uh, literature and, and reading and uh, I went back to school in Santa Monica. And then even when I got back here, I kept trying to, 
have a normal <laughs> I tried to go back to college yeah. so many times. Doesn't work. Nope. Um, I, uh, I would always come back to kind of an, an obsessive behavior of how much can I consume reading-wise. And I realized that happened with music, and then I realized that happened with uh, footwear, and then with coffee. And then while I was doing the coffee, the shoe bug just bit me again. And <laughs> instead of opening another store here, which I almost did multiple times, I thought, uh, why don't I design my own, my own line? Because I'd thought about doing that in San Francisco and could just never even come up for air. So, but I think more to answer your question, it's, it's an upset. It's a, I have to have something to fill this void of creativity, but also of labor, like of work. I have a, a satisfaction or a sense of uh, accomplishment by working till I can't function. And if I don't do that, then I get in trouble like booze or drugs or what yeah, have you. I feel you. My <laughs> wife hates it that I work like, you know, 20 hours a day. Yeah, and I'm like, sorry, help. I can only sleep for three hours. Yeah, like, it doesn't help. Yeah. The, uh, the design process, did you naturally evolve into designing? I'm, I mean, you didn't take any classes or you might have. Mm -mm. So you just figured it out, put it on a piece of paper and said, I'm going to make this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to always have somebody that can literally draw doesn't hurt. But what I'll do is bring six styles and I've, I've now accomplished a process of doing it, but I'll say, okay, I want this toe with this heel cap. I want to add some height here. What if we laid denim in this shaft? And then, man, what if I put like a big lug sole on this? Or what if I put a leather dress sole instead of a sneaker sole? And it just kind of evolves into, hey, let's release that. So I think it's just having been around footwear as long as I have, but also wanting to do something that hasn't been done without it being obnoxious. That's what I want to get back to. In, in each career path, I'll yeah. call it, business that you started, you learned something, and it, it's, it's this path has brought you here. Yeah. So what did, what did the shoe, owning the shoe store teach you about this now? Oh, man, uh, it taught me, first of all, I didn't know shit about business because um, I had been, like I'd said, I mean, poetry and fiction writing and literature and then music right. and music had a business sense to it where I was like, Oh wait, legality stuff and contracts and per diems and wait, they pay me to do this now. Like that kind of stuff was, or I have to do this to get paid, you know, to make a living. Wait, I'm going to work at a coffee shop at the same time when I'm not on the road. Like this mentality of like, I have to make a living, which right. I know sounds crazy, but when you are entrepreneurial, uh, Usually your passions are the work comes first. And then you're like, oh, there's got to be a dollar right. that comes with it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the, uh, I think that the process of the creativity, uh, even just with footwear came naturally. I, uh, even like with music or with art or things, it's just like, it's part of me, right. it's inside of me, but business wise, Man, at the shoe store, I mean, there's hilarious memories that we have once I finally had a bookkeeper, but I was spreading out uh, craft paper on the wall and drawing grids for inventory and for sales in a notepad. We yeah. had a cash register. Yeah. I mean, this was pre, they yeah. had just come out with Retail Pro. Everything was DOS on yeah. the computers for retail systems. Yeah. So, and I was just learning that, but finally hired a bookkeeper, got into QuickBooks and, uh, I mean, literally, it was jumping the deep end. What I love about this story is that, and, and the audience that's listening, um, 
it's okay. You just you just got to go. You're not yeah. going to have all the answers up front. And yeah. you just said it was, I it, it was hilarious what I was doing. It was oh, all yeah. wrong. Looking back, but I figured it out along the way. You have no answers. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> you figure them out as you go. Because that's why now, even since I've grown a business or two and like brought on funding and things like that, that I've learned all just one day at a time, one step at a time. One. I mean, it's literally been people ask me that. Where's your MBA from? And how'd you put this deck together and stuff? It's like. I went to book people and bought a uh, book that literally said how to write a business plan. Yeah. Like literally, I don't, I don't have any tricks right. up my sleeve because then I meet with these guys who are MBA from Harvard and MBA from Princeton and stuff. And it's like, cool, right on. My, my hat's off to you guys. But they're not usually the guys that go put butcher paper up on the exactly. wall and draw grids right. Right. and sell shoes for that matter. Right. So, But I love people and I love the community aspect of it like we were talking about earlier. So that... That always drives me where the people are at the core of it, um, and my businesses are kind of just conduits to hanging out. The second thing that comes to mind as you're telling your story is you're jumping from industry to industry, mm -hmm. and I mean having to relearn the process. For example, <laughs> you know, Ryan and I were just talking about this yesterday. Is for me CPG like making? You know, I'm always like, how do how many laws do you have to get to get products in the store? Right. And for you, it's like, okay, I know what I want in a shoe, but mm -hmm. I still got to contract manufacturers. I got to figure out how this whole process works. Totally. And that, there's a there's a lot of work that research. For so sure. how how'd you jump into that? What, did you have partners that came in, or did you or were you like, I'm just going to figure this out myself? Everything I've done that I've started, I figure out by myself, just straight cold off the bat, and then the biggest part of it is the balance between acting like you know what you're doing. People are like, fake it till you make it. I don't agree with that as much as you could call it humility, but I have to play reality where it's like, I need to find people that know what they're doing or have done this before and ask them thousands of, or ask them questions till they tell me to leave them alone, to leave me alone. Right. They'll be Educate like, Hey yourself, yeah. man, this kid, no, I'm not going to fax you. This is when fax machines were around. I'm not going to fax you my P&Ls. And I'm like, okay, I went too far. <laughs> okay, but no, there's yeah. the line. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's that's the aspect of learning in each field and each, even with, with Helm, like I have an aunt in Istanbul who's been there for 17 years, and I'd visited her before, but this one time when I visited her, I was like, you know anybody that does leather? Because she does textile distribution. Found a guy that owns a shoe factory, went to dinner with his family. It's very kind of godfathery there. Not that it's not here, but just started a relationship and then said, hey, I have some drawings of some shoes. I mean, it's literally that. Step by step. <laughs> yeah. And then just eating crow until you figure out enough to be like, okay, uh, I can do this. But the process, and I, I definitely want to capture this, is you just ask. And the people that you ask... The attitude is willing to help. Oh, sure. That's what's rad. If people, and I've become that person where I think people actually call it consulting, and I, I usually yeah. laugh at that. Um, you're going to pay me to tell you where I screwed up? Um, <laughs> but that ends up being invaluable. I'm right. like, dude, if I could have had somebody tell me, don't do these 10 things, I might have still needed to do some of them for the process. Like, mm -hmm. I, I'm the kind of ability learning. Yeah, I run into a wall till my head is not just bleeding, it's like cracked open, you right. know, and right. put a helmet on and then keep running into it. Um, I would have had, if somebody could have told me what some of the pains were going to be or some of the, the pitfalls and uh, speed mumps, I think that would have been super helpful. Because most, most of the time when somebody asks me stuff, I can talk them out of it mm -hmm. for the sake of their sanity, finances, family, 
relationships. Um, and I, if somebody could, I don't think anybody could have talked me out of it, but they could have told me where they failed and that, that would have helped me. But I was so headstrong on what do I do to mm-hmm. get here? I'm going to get here. And that endurance is the only thing that right. I realize isn't common. Inspiration. First one. Uh oh. The one that's. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's do it. Um, yeah, so the, the coffee thing was what it was. The cafe was successful. Started Coffee Roaster, still on that. But about four or five years into the cafe, I was, like I said, in Istanbul. And I'd had a brother in law at the time who was a really good artist. And I had done the thing with him hey, let's put these drawings together and everything. I'm going to go visit my aunt if I end up running into somebody. Um, and she finds somebody, I'm going to pitch them these pencil drawings. So this first one, I'd been in Israel, um, shoot, man, 97. This is where it started because I'd had those work boots, and my brother and I ended up selling a lot of work boots at our store in San Francisco ahead of the curve. I mean, but that's just... Yeah, Bridget, people would rock it like that or dude, all day. tuck their denim Trust in Trust me, it. I remember watching them. These so days. in Israel, I saw all these beautiful people, uh, girls and guys younger, or my age at the time, um, and they would wear these combat boots, these military boots. And at night we'd be out having dinner or I'd be at the hotel or whatever. And these, these kids would walk through rocking these big, tall military. I mean, the most, some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen. And I don't know, they're probably 18 and they're carrying automatic weapons and wearing these with their street clothes. Cause it was part of their process of being in that country and their education towards the end of their education. So I was watching all these people and I remember being like, man, those boots are rad. And I always loved military influence, but I was like, how can I take a boot like that and kind of make it meet a dress shoe and have a touch of a sneaker in it? So that was, uh, that was 97. And, uh, Everything that happened from there, I just started learning footwear with our store. But with this and with the other first six styles I did there, they were all kind of amalgams of a whole bunch of different styles. And a lot of people were like, are you kidding me? Um, A lot of people being the 10 people that I cared about their opinion. Uh, (laughs) But then once we brought them back and had this, this big party at our roaster and they were selling and Stag picked them up and we started a website, it was all kind of snowball with again some some really big mistakes, but this style that's just what it was. I found this um, canvas, wanted to run it up the shaft. Found this old kind of they had a kind of a French dress t- uh, dress shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, this sheen on this leather. Before I even knew what these things were, it's like, hey, we have this from Holland. We have this sole from Italy, a leather dress sole. The white midsole thing was kind of my nod to a sneaker that yeah. happened when we were trying to glue certain things together. So, I mean, it all kind of fell in place. What year was this again? That was 2005. What is this? 2017. That was 2005. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of those drawings, the drawings and sketches. Yeah. No, I was alluding to no computers. It would like... Oh yeah, no, it's just like, I'm just going I've to rarely this. ever used computers. Still to this day, I use paper and tracing paper yeah. and colored pencils. We can look at my design wall. Yeah. You'll laugh. Yeah. It'll be like, "Are you sure one of your kids didn't do that?" <laughs> it's funny no, you say that. Uh, well, we don't have to go back to birthdays and all that kind of crazy no, yeah. shit. But there's a lot of things oh, that you've been bro. saying that a lot of things that I do in my business yeah, yeah. too. And it's funny you talked about how you can't draw worth 
you might be able to draw now over 10 years of looking at a boot like me. Yeah. I can draw a croquis now and put a suit on a mannequin yeah, and draw yeah. a flat pattern. But I can't illustrate. Yeah. But I can give you 10 different fabrics and paint you a picture. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's what I do. So, you know, going, like you said, going and seeing your family and having these, let's call them backdoor dinner meetings. You sure. know, there's no social media. There's no recording of conversations. It's oh, handshakes. Yeah. And yes, I'm a man of my word. I'll help you out kind of deal. You know, I deal with 86-year-old men in New York who have been in the business for like four or five generations too. It's kind of the same world. And let's be honest, your boots aren't cheap. They're expensive. No. Yeah, totally. So average price of your boots are? 400 And when this boot came out, what were you selling it off? Six. How much was I yeah. selling it for? Six thirty-nine. Cool. So let's just say 700 out the door roughly yeah. in a coffee shop, okay, <laughs> at a, at a party, yeah. <laughs> hanging out yeah. with a WTF moment and yeah. selling them out the door like crazy. Yeah, and that just sounds silly. So do you think that price actually, and you were in Austin, Texas, when yeah. Austin, Texas in 2005 was nothing. No way. That was just when the skyline started to change. Totally. That's just when, you know, Brad Zucker was able to get all those new zoning requirements yep. and every building started going up. And so do you think that, and this is a question because of my business and other elite yeah, businesses yeah, sure. in this town that sell high-end luxury goods, yeah, do you yeah. think that the way you marketed this and sold your heart and told your story mm -hmm. and educated consumers mm -hmm. versus going after dollars? Because there was a $700 boot, right? right. $650 boot. Right. It's not a $150 totally. Wolverine shoe no or $50 from Academy. Right. You had a story. Mm -hmm. How did that translate so successfully for mm -hmm. you? By doing it in a coffee roaster, how would you make? How did you envision making your business off a six hundred and fifty dollar boot and a coffee roaster to what it is now? Man, see what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Because in 2005, let's paint the picture for everybody who's just moved here yeah. in the past few years. Austin, Texas was nothing. Where we're at right now was like crack residences oh, and rundown garages oh, God, and yeah. like I mean gunshots, gunshots, literally, yeah. Yeah. yeah, prostitution, needles, like it was like that at where progress is, right? Mm -hmm. It was all fields around it, and now mm -hmm. you can't even see any four directions, right? Yeah. Um, Six hundred fifty dollar boot, two thousand five coffee roaster. Right. Look at you now. Where's your head at? <laughs> yeah, how did you? I don't. It's crazy because you guys are asking me. I've done interviews and answered questions, but you're asking me like some bigger ones from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I remember being at my aunt's house and having like a little, I mean, again, we didn't have phones <laughs> that you could do anything on back right, then. Right. It's changed significantly. Uh, I remember building spreadsheets and saying, okay, if I pay this much for it, if I want to be able to sell it wholesale, then I need to charge this much for it. Just stuff I'd learned at the shoe store right. or in the restaurant business, mm -hmm. um, what the markup needs to be and the ratio to make whatever it's going to be. I think a large part to answer your question, not unlike other things I've done was relationships. Cause I invited my 50 friends that I knew get it, you know, like right. Bobby Johns and, um, Liz Lambert and her girlfriend at the time that I was real close with Amy. And there was a whole bunch of people there that now are still successful in Austin that back then got it right. because they were from the coasts or if they weren't, they were building something here that was more, uh, more like a metropolis or more oriented towards something that was more European, bringing something to Austin that wasn't here yet. Um, and not in terms of like, let's San Francisco, let's invade Austin or New York, da, da, da. It was more like, hey, let's bring something here that we think people that already live here will understand or people that are coming here will understand. So, I mean, I, I love thinking back on that party where I picture uh, Joel Mazursky and... Um, there's just so many people that Don Moody, 
and uh, there's just so many people. We have all the photos from that original party, and it's so fun to look at that and think, man, these these people are still who make Austin. Yeah, and we were think, just bros then. Do you think um, it was the community then that just kind of helped launch everything, or was it was it was it the actual story? Or I it think. Both? Both the story was really big because I knew most, if not all, those people through the coffee shop. Okay. Progress. And then we had all kind of spawned different things, but that was kind of a melting pot for creativity and let's talk about what we're gonna do. Or let's talk about yeah. how to write a business plan. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> we were all creatives who had come here primarily from other cities. Um it was kind of the Justines of coffee shops. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was really at was. The time. Yeah, nobody was. No one's over here going to your shop. Over here, but no one would come across thirty-five to go to a coffee shop. Except the, people who the, got this side. The wall. Yeah, I'm um, doing quotes in the air. People told yeah. me that. Yeah. Uh, it was the wall. Don't don't go east of I-35. So that's where I went. And mm-hmm. and back then, what what did you do to? I, so I have two questions. When did it when did it catch fire? And and on top of that, how do you think that happened? And what I mean by that, what was marketing like when you were out of a coffee shop? I mean, what? what $650 boots out of a coffee shop. I know, and I want to know. Insane. For the boots? Um, Man, God, so crazy to think back on it. First, it was a roller coaster understatement of this is selling, this isn't. I got to go back to Istanbul again and again and again. How do I, what about these patterns? I mean, there was so much happening at once outside of the coffee shop that I was running and the the roaster that had started. there was just so, so many attributes that I think having Moody, even at the time, and other guys who were like, hey, let's put a website together for you. Yeah. He had just started a company with Kevin uh, Whitley named uh, Gorilla Suit. And they were like, we were all starting to do this at the same time. And Elaine Garza, who had started Giant Noise, yeah, it was all kind of this... You're talking about of power those. players of Austin that we, really helped you and get back moving. then we were like hey, call my Nextel flip phone and let's go meet at this place I'm going to open called the Mohawk that's kind of in (laughs) shambles right now. But let's go have a Jameson and hang out there and throw darts while Jack Sanders builds out the place with stuff from Home Depot. I mean, like, that's where we were at. And I I don't look back on the, oh, we're so old school and everything, but it's like, that's what we were doing. That's That's old school. That's who we were, yeah. That's great. And, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I, I vividly, we have some photos of those kind of things where... Moody would bring in high life, like those big forties. Uh, yeah, and we were we'd all just sit there and drink till we. I mean, and what are you going to do with this place? Right. So dream and talk, and and we were like, I don't. Intention. A lot of us were like, honestly, this could be a shit show, or it could catch. And a majority of what all of us did um, has caught. Um, so you think what I'm hearing, and I think we can come to a conclusion. Maybe I'm wrong, but that your network by helping each other and growing as a community together, whatever the asset was, mm-hmm. a bar, a restaurant, a coffee shop, a boot company, a real estate company, you know, yeah. a hotel business. Yeah. You know, I talk about all the people I heard you talk about. Right. Um, everybody in that community was helping each other succeed, whether it was a $650 boot or a multi-million dollar bar yeah. that was being built by $4, two by fours from Home Depot while y'all are sipping Jameson. It was literally, it didn't matter what facet of industry you all were in. You all wanted to help each other grow. Yeah. Right? Is that what I'm hearing? Is that it didn't? So like the reason this was so successful is your whole community that you've already helped was like, yeah, dude, I'm going to get my boys there that understand this stuff 
and we're going to come and blow this, help you blow this business out of the water. Yeah, and I'll trade you boots because I don't have a buck. Right. And people well, still, the crazy thing is people in this community, I mean, I almost get emotional thinking about you telling that story. I'm like, oh, I got beard chills because it's like people are still willing to do that. I you can, just did it. Yeah. I mean, you just plugged all those people right now. And oh. It's still a community, and that's a good thing. <laughs> and that's there's I mean. another 10 people. Like, yeah. it is, it does seem sometimes bureaucratic or political, but it's really not because I can text or call or email anybody for anything and get it in the same day. And, and they know that from me. Right. right. It's um, a relationship and community. And, yeah. And that's crazy to yeah. think about that. Because, I mean, Everybody that's helped me with all of this didn't have to do any of that. Why did everybody come to my coffee roaster right. and have, aside the fact that Aaron Franklin used the parking lot for his. Right. There you go. Right. That, I mean, that that's where he started oh. with his trailer was up my parking lot. Because uh. yeah, he finished out our building for us and his band practiced in the space. He's a drummer. So anyway, how, how and why did everybody come to that and support it? And it was right when Home Slice was starting and Joseph and Terry, all those people still to this day. What can we help each other? How can I help you help me help you financially, city code-wise, relationship-wise? Who do you need to know that you might not, that I might? I mean, God, it's crazy to think about it. It's still like that. Because San Francisco, L.A., New York, you can be doing crazy shit every day that people are like, you're doing what? You're starting what? You're, And you know people and you find people. This town is surprisingly still small. Right. And there's these forerunners and... I don't know how I became one. I just moved here from San Francisco. I was like, I'm going to start a coffee shop in this old dilapidated warehouse. Yeah. And I mean, it just, it grew from that. Cause there are people doing that here with their businesses. I mean, Liz buying that old ghetto hotel. And, Dude. I mean, there's so much stuff like that where we all moody with that bar. There's so many that I other, there's so many other stories. Aaron opening that at our, that's an old gas station that we yeah. still own and him. Hey, my parent, I have this, it was my grandparents, something where it's like, can I just park this here? And then weeks later, there's a line into the neighborhood. And I'm like, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he served his barbecue at our opening for the helm thing because we were all just, we were all just there. Helping each other out, yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun to look those pictures up again because they're all on like Flickr or whatever was cool then. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was cool. (laughs) (laughs) If I can remember, I couldn't remember my login if you put a gun in my head. Um, Does it even exist? It's probably bought out by Facebook or something. I don't know, yeah. And how has it changed now? 2018. Helm or the city? Oh, your business. Your business and and how a lot of social media and the way websites work now, I mean, it's changed completely from selling out of a... Selling out of a coffee shop. I mean, you see, right? Yeah, or out of a trailer. Yeah, Yeah, or out of a trailer. Yeah. Yeah, you got a a nice van out there that moves your stuff. You got product all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Everything's run here, right? And you're still question. servicing old school. When people want to send in their boots, you repair them, correct? Oh, yeah. We repair, we resole. I, I literally interact with Mallory and Brock and some other management with, I touch everything, I talk about everything, I process everything. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a huge question, though, that you asked about uh, how have things changed. I brought everything to the U.S. four and a half, almost five years ago. Uh, and that was, there's custom stuff and language barriers and port fees and things were changing politically that were changing things financially with importing and exporting. Uh, I found out there were a, a few remaining shoe factories in the U S and it was the same thing I know you've experienced where I literally called, 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 knocked on doors, went to these factories until somebody let me in long story short. And we've been with them now for years 
and doing all our sourcing and producing in the U.S. And we've now stepped into another factory, no pun intended, and <laughs> we're growing into these factories. And I don't know if outgrowing is the right word, but I don't have anything with offshore production, anything against any of that. And as climates are changing, I'm looking at other factories again because as our brand grows, sadly, it can't be all U.S.-based. We're not Red Wing. We don't own the factories. Right. And it'd be smart for you to have a factory over in like Spain or Europe that you can produce and service your Brazil. Yeah, or Brazil. South American clients. Totally. European clients. Totally. Just to save on your shipping and your feeds. Well, and the capabilities they have design-wise. My huge goal has been to bring some of that original influence and and design to the U.S. Because all these factories make, they've made a lot of the same things for generations. Literally multiple generations on these factories. And the sun's going to take over it so uh, being able to make our own lasts and do some things where they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Or what are you doing? Or you want what on it? Or how are we going to do that? And going there and spending enough time that they're like, okay, he's really going to buy enough of these for us to excuse using our line for however long to make what we think looks a little crazy. Um, and here we are. Awesome. Nice. Well, that's a, a wrap, I think. You have any uh, other, thing, other things you want to add before we wrap this up? Uh, I mean, it's all you guys. I feel like I'm you know, over I do, I do want to ask yeah, you to plug the audience with wherever they can go, see what you're doing, oh, your website, all your okay. social media, whatever you want to say. So, cool. Okay. Um, well, it's Helm Boots, H-E-L-M Boots. We know how to spell that, right? Um, Helmboots.com is the website. Uh, our handle everywhere else across the board is Helm Boots. And uh, like you guys were saying, we're in a lot of wholesale accounts, but really we we are focusing now on the website and our flagship store here in Austin on East 11th. It's a little small space, but I will always work to keep it that that kind of warm. uh, We're not here to be like, we're blah, 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 and we're going to take over the shoe market. It's always going to be like, we might have a few of those. We might do some pop-ups, but our goal is not to, to grow real hard and real big and real fast. Our goal is to become a brand that is familial in in terms of like, I don't want this to be a flash in the pan, which a lot of brands are these days. It's like, let's make this Mm. stick around. How the hell have we made it a decade? Let's make it last two, three, four, five more decades and see where it's at. Love it. Word. 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 Appreciate it, Joshua. Thank you guys. Yeah, for sure. Hey, for everybody listening, uh, go knock on doors, make those phone calls. Somebody's going to answer. You can do anything you want. We always hear it. So... Have a good day, guys. Small communities, your circle of friends, it all makes a difference and can change your business. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Founders of Fashion. The Founders of Fashion team includes me, Jennifer Millspa, and producer, Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer, Jake Wallace. And of course, thank you to all the folks at Founding Media. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.